0: I remember the day I was sitting on my bed in Central Texas as a 16-year-old boy thinking about what my life was supposed to mean and writing out the phrase, I want my life to count for Jesus. And it's been a theme of my life through all these years. I want my life to count for Jesus. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long. You have forgotten, friends in church all your life, you have forgotten how unique that language is in the human family. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior. Not everybody knows there's a Savior. Unique in the world religions is this confession we've made in song just a moment ago. I wanted to get your heart and grip your heart, all right? We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. Ever since we found out, this is the story and song of our lives. The Apostle John is seeking to reinforce this in the life of the church, and he is battling against the notion that Jesus is not the unique Son of God and the Savior of the world, a notion that did not arise somewhere out there but inside the church, that people inside the church stop believing in the uniqueness of Jesus. And so John writes this epistle, and he starts it out by talking about what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've touched, and our hands have handled the word of life to reinforce the truth that Jesus is God's one and only Son sent to save us. Somebody asked this week, how important is the idea of sin to the proclamation of the gospel? Why would we need a Savior if we weren't sinners? And this too is unique in our confession as followers of Jesus Christ. We know God has handled the sin problem once and for all, not in our behavior but in the love, sacrifice, and behavior of his perfect, sinless Son. This is the center of the gospel. We are not up here doing general religion today, okay? We're not just acknowledging the higher power. We're exalting the Savior who was made flesh and lived among us and we beheld his glory John writes glory is of the only begotten of the father full of what grace and truth now in 1 John chapter 2 which is where we get today in the love first series he addresses something that's come up in the church 1 John 2.18, dear children, this is the last hour, right now. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Even here. Here and now, dear children, it's the last hour. Many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father and this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. would you know it, this very week when I'm preaching on the Antichrist, some scientist from up north took his to- toothbrush and flashlight and crawled into the jungles in Guatemala looking at some Mayan ruins and discovered there that the Mayan calendar does indeed end December 21st. 2012. Now the scientists are all saying that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Like we all have to be assured, you know. I've given up thinking that preachers will stop setting dates. It just sells too many books. It's too profitable. They got to set dates. It's spectacular. We want to hear the dates. We want to read. We go to the Bible conferences. If they'll set dates, we'll go listen and read. I'm not going to set any dates. I think, in large measure, the dates have been an embarrassment to the Church of Jesus Christ. I think they undercut the credibility of the gospel, and they contradict what Jesus said when the disciples asked him, are you going to this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has committed to his own care. It's not for you to know. I don't know why that's so hard to understand. people don't get it now if you've latched on to some date and you're absolutely convinced that that's the one I hope when it passes you don't get disillusioned because you weren't supposed to latch on to it in the first place Only the Father knows. And if I was God and a little Baptist preacher guessed it right, I'd change it just for spite. (sighs) Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. It's the last hour. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I believe it's soon. I believe he's coming soon, and my life is irrevocably drawn into the flame, which is Jesus the Savior. And I am headed toward him with mind, soul, and heart. And I'm looking for the day. And I'm looking up, not down. And I'm hopeful and full of joy that he's coming soon. I don't know when, but I believe it could be soon. And the church of Jesus Christ has for these 2,000 years anticipated the soon coming of the Savior. And it's been the last hour ever since he died on the cross and sent the Holy Spirit here. It's the last hour. It's the last era. And God is going to wrap up human history in his beloved son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking into the future with fear. I'm trusting in the one who saves us and sustains the world by the word of his power. Amen? So we're just trusting in him. I am not suspending necessary disciplines for living on this planet as I anticipate his coming. In order that you not waste your time I want you to feel the urgency and edge of the Lord's soon return because it could happen in our lifetime any day. It could happen any time. So we need to feel that. We need to know that. So we live in the tension between the expectation that Jesus is going to blow the trumpet or the angel will and we'll have the wrapping up hour and the truth that we've got to continue to live on the planet, take care of our family and our children. And know that like God said to Noah, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, they're not going to fail as long as the earth endures. And if that's true, you've got to plant in the spring or you won't have anything to eat. In the two epistles, First and Second Thessalonians, that are most aimed toward the future, Paul the apostle says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. You say, what's the context of that? That is the context of a man who has lost his perspective in the longing for the Lord's return. And he has stopped caring for his family. He dressed himself in a white garb and got on top of a mountain and just waited and waited and waited. What's happening to the kids? And so Thessalonians, both letters to Thessalonica, have The instruction about the end, every chapter mentions the end in some way, the coming of the Lord. And it is full of practical counsel about how to live in the world. You're going to have to do both. I remember the time when I thought the Lord's return was so close, I just didn't think I could go to seminary. It'd just be a waste of time because the Lord was going to come. And I had the fever, I had the apocalyptic fever. And I believed the prophet who said 78 no later than the middle of 79. Alright? And in 1979 when I became a reporter at the Times-Picayune I went to Vince Randazzo the city editor and said I would like to do a story on the side if you don't mind. He said, what's it about? I said, it's not the end. I want to talk to this evangelist. He says he's got a social security check that you can only cash if you got the mark of the beast on you. And so, for weeks, I tried to get him to send me that check or a copy of that check. I called his office, and I kept after him. And finally, I realized with a big sigh, I believe he lied. Don't believe he's got that check. I know you want to know. And sometimes we scan the horizon and think there has got to be the Antichrist. But listen, don't waste your time. Live with the fervency of the Lord's return like this could be the day. And keep the disciplines of life going as you care for your family and the necessities of living here on the planet. Do them both. And keep your head up. Your redemption draws nigh. Don't waste your time. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Who's the liar? The man who says that Jesus is not the Christ. You're a Christian, right? Don't you claim to be a Christian? You have the term Christ in your religious claim, it's the word for the anointed one, the Messiah. The very word Christian carries in it the central claim of our faith that God has sent the Messiah, the promised one. It's what we believe, it's what is in the heart, at the center that the Creator God made us and loves us so passionately that He sent His Son to save us. And we have a Redeemer. The lie is that, no, it's not so. And you hear it in a lot of places. You hear the poets and the actors and read it in the books. People crying out to an empty universe with no answer back. And they say to us, no one is listening. There is no Savior. Jesus was a good man. He was not the Savior. That's what they say. And John the Apostle, who knew Jesus personally, intimately, loved him passionately, and was so loved by Jesus of Nazareth that that love changed his life John says who is the liar the liar is the one who says Jesus is not the Christ that's the lie It's the lie that empties the universe for you, drains all your hope and faith away, leaves you with nothing but ashes and dust. It leaves you alone in the universe. This lie that God has not provided for us, that Jesus is not the God man. And the religionists challenge us at this point. There's so many religions in the world, so many religious people, you know, and we're just part of it. Surely you don't have to hold on to the uniqueness of Jesus as Savior. Can't you just join in with all the theists on the planet and be like everybody else? Why do you have to insist on the peculiarity of Jesus as Savior and Son of God? We insist on it because it is the truth. And that which we proclaim as foundations all the way back to the beginning of writing. All through the ancient script. The ancient fathers heard. I'll send someone to save you. You read it first in the third chapter of Genesis. And it is the theme, not only of the literature of the Bible, but of the sacrifices that rolled the sins forward but could never really take care of the sin problem. And the prophets who said, one like Moses is coming. There's going to be a king like David. The son of man is coming, Daniel and Ezekiel said. And there was this expectation through hundreds of years, in all these centuries, God would send the one. We stand in this stream of revelation when we say that Jesus is God's climactic answer to the expectation of the prophets and kings. He is the one and only. As John the Apostle witnessed and saw firsthand, And yes, we stand on his shoulders and the testimony of the eyewitnesses as we proclaim Jesus as risen, Savior, and Lord. Don't buy the lie. You're not alone in the world, God hears every whispered prayer, He knows your need. He is personally acquainted with your difficulties. The Antichrist is the Anti Savior, the Anti Messiah. You see? See what Antichrist is? We put the Antichrist out there somewhere, but John knows. The church must be prepared for the anti-Savior sentiment that wells up in the heart where there is no faith. You've got to get ready for it. They went out from us because they were not of us, he says, of these antichrists who are already in the world. They'd already come these folks who were against the notion of the Savior, against Christ Jesus as Messiah. So I warn you that you will hear the lie, but you are to hold firm in the faith inherited from the Father's And the apostles. And know that Christ himself is holding you. And do not deny the anointing that is on your life. John talks about it three times here. About the anointing from the Holy One. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. What's that? That's someone talking about the anointing, about walking with God on a day-by-day basis, about seeing the activity of God in their personal life and in their world about having their eyes open to see the truth and know the truth and identify the lie. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the inner witness of God in you. Don't waste your time. Don't buy the lie. Remain in Him. Remain in in him the church has to hear this brother you got to hear this sister you got to hear this remain in who remain in christ remain in the savior remain in him well where else would you go i don't know people wander off all the time to other things other focuses in their lives other passions other centers They move off centered in Christ to something else. Sometimes you see it with the embittered spirit and the distance in their life. And all of a sudden they're caught up in some detour, some tangent that goes somewhere else. We have nothing to offer this planet and the people on it but the Savior. That's what we have to offer. Not good ethics, though we want that. It's the Savior which we offer. And if we have no Savior to proclaim and to offer, then like Paul says in the rejection of the resurrection, we are of all men most to be pitied. But then he says, but we have indeed a Savior who is risen from the dead. And this is the central confession of our lives. Don't get sidetracked from that. Stay centered in the Christ who saved you, who made you, and who calls you His own. His anointing is on your life. Remain in Him. In John chapter 15, verse 5, there is this verse about remaining in Jesus. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll feel better about his life. Yeah, he probably will. No? But he's not just going to feel better. He's not just going to be happy. He's going to be useful on the planet for the kingdom of God. If you remain in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We don't want to do that all our life, do we? Nothing. You ever known anybody who did? I've known people. Old people who looked back on a life without direction and Christ and said, what a waste. Don't be anti-Christian. Don't leave the Savior out. To remain in Him is to intellectually remain in Him, to do your study and your work and your graduate school anchored in the truth that Jesus is the Savior that he is God's one and only sent to redeem us from our sin anchored in that truth wherever you go I remember the struggle I had as a student in academia wondering how my faith lined up with my intellect and struggling with that and I came to this foundation that served me well not only as an undergraduate but through 11 years of graduate study it's Jesus in whom I stand. I remain in Him. This is my intellectual foundation, my mental foundation. I love God with all my mind by standing in this place. Emotionally, I am centered in Christ. I remain in Him. Life is tough. Life is hard. I get down. Where do I go? I go to Him who is the bread and the cup. I go to Him who feeds my heart and soul. I stand in Him emotionally. When I need help, I seek out the Savior. He is medicine for my soul. I do not run from prayer when I have doubts. I run to prayer. I do not run from prayer when life gets tough. I run to it. And so I stay anchored intellectually and emotionally and spiritually in Christ and Christ alone. Remain in me. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, you can ask anything, Jesus said, and I'll do it. Why? Because my heart is in tune with his will. I'm walking with him. There are a lot of vines to which you can connect. There is only one that is hope for this life and the next. He is the Savior, Jesus the Lord. I commend Him to you, believer and unbeliever alike, as the only hope now and forever. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted in Christ as Savior, what a wonderful moment to bow your head and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I know I've sinned. I've tried to do this without you. And I've made a mess of things. I open my heart to you as best I know how. Would you pray that prayer to him? Would you open your heart to him as best you know how? Would you receive him? Would you ask him to forgive your sin? He loves to forgive sin. Would you acknowledge your sinfulness and receive his forgiveness? Would you trust in him alone for your eternal future? Will you do it? Would you recenter yourself in Christ? Would you again present yourself wholly to him? intellectually, emotionally, spiritually in every way centered in Him with all the strength of your life centered in Him Lord, let this be our suitable act of worship today that we who know you might stand more firmly in you as the name above all names and the one who sustains us in all things Do your work in us, we pray. We are open to the Spirit's call. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.